Good afternoon, seven investors, and welcome to the Friday. That's right, it is Friday. It is March. We're approaching summer. Vaccines are getting better. It is a beautiful day. You're watching Seven Investing Now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm being joined today by Manisha Sammy. Manisha, welcome. It's been a while. How are, how are you doing? Doing well. Getting ready for spring. Excited about that. I, I feel like we knew this was coming, and we've talked vaccines on a lot of shows, but without being political, to see the president of the United States, I don't care who that president is, mm-hmm. say everyone will be eligible for a vaccine by May 1st was just a bright thing to see. Like, Manisha, as a, as a, a I don't want to say a scientist, but as a person in that space, does that make you feel good about your community? Like, I know, like, when something great happens in the journalism world, I, I'm, like, proud of all journalists. I feel like maybe you'd feel that way about science Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. I mean, it, it shows us how quickly we can, one, identify what the pathogen or the virus is, then having that scientific knowledge base essentially go out, create therapeutics, go through the rigorous clinical trial process. And then the most difficult thing ever is distribution. And we saw that, you know, in terms of, okay, well, how do we go about it? But May 1st, that's a really quick turnaround of this is something that's been approved by the FDA and now everyone is getting it. So I think that's amazing. I see the mass vaccination site scaling up. I volunteered twice at a mass vaccination site and I saw just how efficient it was and how it could be scaled. So here's what I would say to anyone who's excited about this. Look for volunteer opportunities. Not You won't necessarily get vaccinated, but they're going to need volunteers to make these things work. They're, we're pushing our nurses, our doctors, uh, our, our medical students kind of you know to the edge in terms of doing this. So if you can volunteer and direct traffic or observe people in the 15 or 30 minutes after their shot, there is some great work to be done. But that's not our top story today. Our top story today is we're going to talk about Peloton and Peloton competitors. I'll explain why we're going to do that in a second. Then we're going to do a what we're watching. Manisha has a great topic to talk about. And then the last segment of the show, Alan Sokloff, uh, one of our affiliates uh, of the Cruising Altitude newsletter, he's a millennial. He's going to join us to talk about millennials and investing. So it's a jam-packed show. But Manisha, you know, I'm an active guy on Twitter. And I throw a lot out there on Twitter. And yesterday, I just threw out a link, no judgments made, about how Sam's Club was selling an $800 peloton competitor and i basically said if this is a decent bike it's made by echelon echelon products look decent enough why would you buy nineteen hundred dollars with a worth of peloton and i got eviscerated now i understand the status symbol argument i understand the social argument but we're going to go through a lot of this and we're going to base our conversation off a lot of your tweets but before we get there manisha are you a peloton person a gym person i'm a personal trainer and a gym person uh, what's sort of your normal world workout habit? I am just like you. Uh, I usually have a personal trainer, obviously not during COVID world. Um, and I like going to the gym and then uh, just yoga classes. Yeah, that, that I, I like being in the gym. Uh, it may not look like it, but I've been a two or three day a week personal trainer person for the past uh, 18 months. The pandemic hurt that. But I will say had we not moved to a, a, a complex where the gym is like 30 yards from my house, it hasn't been open the whole time we've lived here, but it opens in a, in a week or so. They were doing a renovation. Uh, I probably would have bought a Peloton. And when I say would have bought a Peloton, I mean I would have bought a connected fitness exercise bike. I don't know if that necessarily would have been a Peloton. I'm not a big status guy, but I will say for all of you who got mad at me on Twitter, I am bullish on Peloton. 
I see the market opportunity in Peloton. I am not an investor in Peloton, but I am not against the idea of investing in Peloton. So don't think I'm a Peloton hater as we're doing this. But um, let's get to the first questions we're getting. We got a lot of people who made some version of this argument. This one's from Matthew Joseph, if you want to share the tweet, Sam Bailey. It has nothing to do with the boat, the bike. The moat is the classics. They're just outstanding. People don't care what the bike costs. It's also growing at such a rate, it's having a network effect and everyone wants to be friended on Peloton. I get that. Uh, and, and Manisha, let me ask you, have you ever taken a Peloton class? I have. Um, so not from home. Uh, I went to their brick and mortar kind of Peloton class in New York. Um, and it was, a, it was actually a very unique experience because you had the people kind of around you in class on Peloton bikes, but then the instructor would call out to people um, you know, live, uh, you know, oh, this so-and-so is from, you know, North Carolina, and they're joining, and, and this is their, you know, 1,000 class. So that was kind of interesting to see um, kind of from the brick-and-mortar point of view. So I look at it, and I see, I actually think this is an area where I'm going to push back. I've been to lots of gyms. I travel a lot and will go take a yoga class or, a, or whatever class with the trainers. I think good trainers who can lead a class and be energetic I don't want to say are dime a dozen, but are not particularly difficult to replicate. I know some of the people get so mad about this. I know some of the Peloton trainers do build a loyal audience. I know the fact that you can socially interact with your with your friends a little bit matters, but I'm a grown person. I don't need to go to a class and have someone recognize me or, or shout me out. I've seen classmates of mine, people I respect, literally be nervous on Twitter about whether they're going to get called out during their hundredth ride. I don't find this that necessary. That said, it does matter to a lot of people. I'd be shocked if you took an Echelon class or a Nordic track class or a mixed class or whatever it is, if it was really super inferior. I, I know a lot of people felt their soul cycle classes were, were something completely unique, uh, but I, I don't see this as a differentiator. Uh, it is a marketing differentiator. People clearly believe it, but I don't know that it's actually true. We, of course, would like your questions and comments. Wherever you're watching this, if you want a question and comment, on Peloton, uh, on Connected Fitness, anything in that space, we are happy to take those questions as we go. But Preston shared yesterday on, on Twitter, Peloton has become such a brand name. It's a status symbol and has that edge to it. Reminds me of when people were getting the iPhone in the early days. It turns heads and people like that. Also, I do hear the bike is next level to competitors. Manisha, you've been on one. I've seen them in person at the mall. I've never been on one. Does it feel that different from the average exercise bike at the gym? I think there is a bit of a difference. Um, and then, you know, if I'm looking at specific companies, um, so, you know, there's SoulCycle, uh, there's uh, Peloton, and then in New York, there's also Flywheel. Um, I would say if I think Flywheel and uh, Peloton, they're more neck on neck, um, pretty, you know, they're good. And I think part of it is what are exactly are they tracking as you're cycling? Like, where are the buttons? So if you're exhausted, there's, there's some of that, but really not too much. Um, I kind of agree with the whole status symbol aspect. That's an allure and building a community. Um, I think I'm a competitive person. And if I know like the person next to me or online is just doing a bit better, that pushes me a bit harder. So I have heard from some Peloton owners that the, the bike is superior. I've also heard some complaints about the seat, but you can swap out the seat. It's a, it's a traditional bike seat, which can be painful for some people. Manisha, let me ask you the general question, because people draw the Apple comparison a lot. I am on a MacBook doing this show. I, I've always felt a MacBook was necessary to my work because I, I'm a writer, I'm a creative person. Mm -hmm. I find it much easier to do things like edit video, 
uh, on a MacBook. I don't think I own a Mac as a status symbol. Um, but you could argue that I buy a new iPhone every year as, as sort of a status symbol. Other than that, I mean, you could tell by the fact that I dress the same every day. Not really a status symbol kind of guy. Have you made a purchase uh, based on just I, I really need to own that brand name? You know, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I have everything Apple, but that's purely because of the connectedness. And it's easy if I have information on my phone, I can easily connect it to my laptop. Um, I can't say I have, um, though I think I do tend to buy something if, if the marketing is well done. So for me, I wouldn't have even known that Sam's Club was releasing a competitor bike um, if you had not mentioned it. Uh, for me, in my mind, if I were to get a bike at home, the only name that pops into my mind is Peloton. See, I, I am a, let's call it, uh, I have a purchasing method. This is a little personal finance lesson. If I'm going to make a big time purchase, I am doing my homework. Before I bought my, my recent used car, I went out and I got the Consumer Reports used car edition and I read every single thing there could be read. I read about all the potential problems that could go wrong with the different used brands. If I was going to buy something as expensive as a bike, I would try to find impartial sources. The challenge is finding impartial sources beyond, you know, for electronics, you can use CNET. For a lot of things, you can use consumer reports. A lot of cases, you're reading reviews where they're linking to for sale sites and they might be getting a better commission from some places than others. So you do have to be careful. Um, I do think though, there's a mindset that a lot of people have where they want to have the hot brand and that Peloton is the hot brand. They also survived the backlash of being the sort of like rich, good looking white people brand. And that, you know, we had that whole, uh, controversy. It was last Christmas, maybe it was two Christmases ago, where a very fit woman got a, a a Peloton and then like, you know, showed how in shape she was getting when of course she was in shape in the first place. Uh, we saw them get through that and the power of the brand, all the jokes about you have to be overlooking some beautiful Vista, you know, to place it in your house and buy a Peloton. I do think they've become sort of an approachable luxury brand like Apple. But uh, Shimothy asks, uh, an important aspect to remember is that the service revenue isn't tied to the hardware. I personally went with a cheaper competitor bike, Bowflex, but I'm a happy monthly subscriber to Peloton for the classes. I think this is an important point. You can buy a cheaper bike and still use the Peloton app. It's not as integrated. Some of the features don't work, uh, but I could see the logic of doing that. And then we're going to move to a really important point from my friend, Sam Materia. Sam is actually probably my, my longest colleague in the financial space. We go back to before I was at The Motley Fool. Uh, I think you're looking at the price wrong. Peloton isn't an $1,800 bike versus a $700 bike. It's a $60 a month plus subscription cost. Uh, Echelon subscription is the same price. I do think the Android, Android iPhone comparison is accurate. I thought wrongly that people would buy the $400 phone over the $1,000 phone. Uh, the reason I was wrong, because it's not a $1,000 phone. It's $30 a month. It's the same logic car dealers use, uh, you know, with the what monthly payment can you afford? Manisha, I think this is a good point. How many times do we buy something where we don't really think about the total cost? Like I, I, I know when you buy a house, you don't really think of it as $325,000. You think of it as $1,300 a month or whatever the number is. Is this something, do you think that this leads a lot of people to buy a Peloton? I think so. Um, if I wasn't thinking about total cost and just, oh, this is all I'm paying for a month, I'm thinking I spend, you know, how many, you know, tens of dollars am I, or like probably $40 a week on just Starbucks. 
So then <laughs> like, oh, this is nothing. Or then uh, Spotify and Netflix combo combined. Okay, well that's essentially, or you know, add on another subscription service. So that makes it seem cheaper. I, I think it does. It's also something though that I've personally taken an inventory of because I know I had bought five or six different things on, you know, let's call them installment plans, you know, 0% interest, you're paying $60 a month, whatever it is. Like we just got the new Xbox and it's whatever it is, $29.99 a month for two years and you get game pass. And I feel like I've saved the money in the fact that I'm not buying my son a new $60 game every month. But we really went through and looked at our subscriptions to figure out like, okay, we have a subscription to this. Is someone in the house using it? And I've actually paid for a couple of things upfront fully because it's like if you keep buying things at 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars a month, and then all of a sudden you have like 15 of them, that becomes a, a meaningful amount of money. Now, of course, many of these things are zero percent if you pay them at once. Like when I got my laser eye surgery, we financed it because we have an HSA and it's a little complicated because they don't take payment directly from the HSA. So we have to do a really complicated reimbursement tax form kind of thing. But that being said, I'm making payments big enough so I will pay it off while it's 0% interest. Why give the company the money for that period of time when I can you know, finance it and pay it off through my wife's office funded HSA? So really it's no cost to me, but I do think you need to be careful. We got one more Twitter comment here, and then we're gonna go to some of your questions and comments. Uh, Mark, that's at the Mark Cook asked, Daniel, would you rather have Lululemon or Gap, a MacBook or a Dell, a Porsche or a Toyota, being trained by celebrity trainers or average people? They're only celebrity trainers because they have an audience on Peloton. It's not like Peloton went out and got, you know, uh, Tony Little or, or the, I, I can't even think who would be a celebrity trainer these days, but you know, when they're not actual celebrities, they're Peloton world celebrities. They're kind of like the MTV VJs of the Peloton, you know, of the Peloton world. But let me ask Manisha the question because there are areas where I'm snobby. I will go to stop Starbucks over a lesser coffee place. I'll also go to a nicer coffee place over a Starbucks. <laughs> I will buy Apple products over Dell products, but I'll absolutely shop at the Gap. I, I, I don't even know where I shop. I just buy like wherever has like black shirts cheap. Um, I will definitely, I, I drive a 2014 Toyota that I just bought. It's actually older than my previous car. So is there a little bit of a snob factor in that I bought a Prius? Like, yeah, maybe, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think this is different for everyone. Manisha, your thoughts here. I absolutely agree with you. Um... It's a very personal. Uh, it's a very personal opinion uh, for me. Um, I would go for a celebrity ta uh, trainer over kind of the average crunch gym trainer because I would think, okay, they know what they're doing. If they have extra uh, certificates, if they have a background in nutrition, for example, I'm thinking, okay, well, they know what they're talking about. Even though technically that's probably not true. It's just they're celebrities. Um, I think for other things like coffee, you know, as long as it gives me caffeine and I'm awake. That's fine, um, though I wouldn't want anything super disgusting, of course. But as long as it's coffee and it's you know drinkable, um, when it comes to cars, uh, it depends. Um, if you live in cities, cars are pretty irrelevant in in your world, right? So it's like I, it's like you almost don't want to have a nice car because the likelihood of it just being trashed is quite high. <laughs> that out. We're going to go to some of your comments over the next five minutes or so. Then we're going to move to what we're watching. We're going to be talking about microbiome companies in recent research. And when I say we, I mean Manisha much <laughs> more than me. Uh, Stephen Hyun says, leadership matters. That's true with orchestras, 
companies and countries. I think that's a comment that Peloton has good leadership. I would argue that they do. The recent purchase they made, the, the company's escaping me, but they bought a company that makes uh, bikes that are sold in gyms that'll up their capacity. I do think that's important, um, but I don't think that necessarily means that the competitors in the space don't have good leadership. Like This is a market where there are going to be multiple winners. Like Nordic Track has been a longtime player in the exercise space. I wouldn't count them out. I wouldn't count out Bowflex in the exercise space. Like they've simply been here. They know how to make equipment. They already have uh, the, those sort of methods of selling it. The wholesale channels, the the gym source stores that track that that stock that kind of equipment. So I don't think this is a winner take all space. Uh, this one is from Zufkar. If you want to bring that up, Sam Bailey. Uh, Peloton, I think for the next two quarters, will we'll show great growth because of back orders. Uh, Peloton is a luxury brand. At, it will mature soon and will stay consistent, similar to Ferrari stock. So I, you're right about the next two quarters, but I don't worry about the next two quarters. Like the next two quarters are, are just catching up with pandemic demand. I actually think, and Manisha, jump in if you want here. Mm -hmm. I think there are whole markets that Peloton has not hit. I think the fact that they just bought a company that has all the relationships with gyms, there is no reason gyms wouldn't want to buy durable connected fitness bikes. I don't know what's in it. I'm pointing over here because it's literally over there. I don't know what's in the new gym in my building, but I would guess there might be some connected equipment. I think community gyms, which is a massive thing here in Florida, hotel gyms. Imagine if you go to a hotel that has three Pelotons in it. I think that's a massive market that has been stymied a bit by you know the pandemic like hotel gyms are a dicey proposition as it is right now i was in one uh, a few weeks ago and there were occupancy rules you basically had to clean your own machine i wore a mask while i was working out which was not particularly fun now that being said i was on a treadmill facing no one with one other person in the gym and he was really loudly lifting weights that weren't that heavy manisha would you consider as you know if you move someplace would the building having a peloton or a connected rower or something like that be a selling point for you not at all. I wouldn't think twice. Um, but that, that's a personal preference. I, I know for a fact that, you know, I have friends and, uh, you know, parents of friends who would absolutely love that. And that would be criteria. I know there are a lot of luxury buildings in New York. Um, they're installing uh, Peloton bikes uh, just for, you know, incentivizing people to join, especially now that everyone has left New York because of uh, COVID. David Strauss says, we're going to go to a few more of your comments and then move on to talking about microbiome, something I did not know existed until I met Manisha and Max. Uh, David says, I'm so cheap and old school that I just go outside and ride my bike. Uh, great value, fresh air. I totally get that. Now, that being said, it's hard to ride a bike outside if you live in a city. If you don't live someplace where there's open. I know I don't pay attention well enough to ride a bike outside. I also know that riding a bike outside has unexpected hills and other things. There's a lot more control inside. I Look, I take an outside walk every day that I don't go to the trainer. I am a big believer in getting outside. Uh, Manisha, is it possible to get outside where you are right now? You're, you're a little more downtown than I am. It's possible, though my problem with riding a bike outside would be that I don't know how to ride a bike, um, which is on me, so that would be kind of impossible. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I do see people riding their bike outside, but there are some very hilly areas. And then I think about people who live in San Francisco. I would never want to ride a bike in San Francisco with kind of the steep hills that they have there. Joey K says, Dell for the win, I love mine. Yeah, we, we own at least two Dell computers in this house.
mind for creative pursuits, Macs are better. I am probably gonna fire up one of our Dells as a secondary computer. We use a piece of software to do our transcripts that doesn't work particularly well on a Mac. It has some Mac glitches. So I'm not anti-Dell. I've been a PC person on and off my entire life. That said, we appreciate so many of you taking part in the Peloton conversation. Manisha, we are going to move to the microbiome conversation. Then we're going to talk to uh, to Alan Sokoloff about millennial investing. But before we do that, we both work at Seven Investing. We are lead advisors at Seven Investing. What does that mean? Every month on the first of the month, whether it's January first or April first, I feel a little weird that, that we're going to do this on April first. But we put out our new picks. Those are the highest. Uh, the highest conviction stock recommendations we have this month. So I might on this show talk about 10 stocks that I like. My pick, which I won't talk about on this show, is going to be the one I think is my absolute best buy right now. So if you're a member for $17 a month or $170 a year, you get access to those picks right on the first of the month. You also, a little bit later, get access to our team calls where we, we pitch those picks to other people. So Manisha might pitch her picks and Max might fire back with all sorts of knowledge and the rest of us might ask dumb questions about you know the finances because we don't know as much. I might pitch a retail company or an entertainment company that everybody can ask questions about. So those are available to members. We also do a new members call on the third Friday of every month. We also do a call for our existing subscribers where they can ask about any of our past picks. We're adding tons of new stuff to the, web, to the website every day. That is just for members. So if you'd like to become a member of 7investing, and why wouldn't you? It is 7investing.com slash subscribe. Once you become a member, you get a referral code. Why is that important? Well, if you go out on Twitter or Facebook or your MySpace page or stand on a street corner with one of those spinny signs with your referral code, Every person that signs up, not only do they get a deal, they get they get their first month uh, for only ten dollars. They will get uh, you will get a free month. So if you get twenty friends to sign up, that's twenty free months. So I, I can't say enough how much I like the service, how proud I am to be part of this service. That uh, and our own Simon Erickson says. Uh, Seven Investing should certainly fund this endeavor, including the training wheels. I missed the beginning of this. Is, is someone suggesting we get training wheels so I so I learn? Uh, oh, Simon says, <laughs> surprised that Manisha doesn't know how to ride a bike. Manisha, if you would like, my 17-year-old also doesn't know how to ride a bike. If you want to come visit, we can teach you that. Um, I also used to teach swimming. So if anyone doesn't know how to swim, I can also teach people how to swim. All right. Uh, so that's two things that you're teaching me, Dan. We also have, I, I'm actually broadcasting from my guest bedroom right now. So we actually have a guest suite on our first floor that in one corner has a broadcast studio and the other half of the room has a bed in a bathroom, which is very far away, very private. So I expect many of the Seven Investing team to come visit me in the next few months. But let's move on to what we're watching. And Manisha, you wanted to talk about microbiome companies and recent research. Uh, and then this is your question. You wrote this in. What is the microbiome and why do we care? Yeah, so it's kind of surprising. We don't think about um, kind of the bacteria and the viruses that are all over our body. And uh, what's fascinating to me when I first started doing microbiome research is that we're really not human. If you look at the number of cells that we have in our bodies that are non-human, it's more than 1.3 times the number of human cells, um, bacterial genes, the number of genes that um, basically produce different types of metabolites. It's 130 times more than that of the number of genes that are human 
uh, cells code for. And the reason why we care is that these metabolites that bacteria releases, it affects our health status. So anything from, you know, uh, how we metabolize our uh, food that we eat, or recently there's something that we talk about uh, where it's the gut brain axis. So we realized that there is a crosstalk between the microbiome. So the bacterial composition in our gut, our lung, our skin, um, and our neuroendocr uh, neuroendocrine system. So that influences things like uh, whether or not we have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, and other mental disease. So there's a huge body of research, and it's growing um, over time, um, of how the microbiome affects different disease and health states. Um, in 2016, uh, the White House, along with private stakeholders, uh, announced the National Microbiome Collective. Uh, so. Uh, People like, or sorry, foundations such as the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, the Parker Institute, uh, the White House itself, they have donated millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, towards this research um, to not only develop applications for healthcare, but also food production and environmental produ uh, protection. So, so Manisha, let, let, let me jump in here. I had never thought of the fact of all the terrible things that could go wrong with me because I'm apparently not what I thought I was until I met you and Max. So, so, so that part is, but from a practical point of view, are there microbiome products out there right now? Yes, um, and the most simple and kind of gross way that we uh, treat C. difficile, for example, is using fecal matter transplant. Basically, you take the poop from someone and you insert it into someone else. Um, because that should change. You, you have a do you have a doctor do that. Don't do that on your own. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, the thinking is that there's you know there's good bacteria, there's bad bacteria, and you know a doctor is able to see okay, well you know this strain of bacteria or you know this X Y Z strains it, together they produce some sort of toxin in your body, and that's bad. But if you have you know another strain of bacteria, um, it could help you know, get to a healthy state for your gut, lung, um, skin, uh, et cetera. And that's the premise. And there are a number of ways that you can change uh, the composition of your microbiome. And there are various ways. And now there are dozens of companies, both private and uh, public, that are working on applications. So is this sort of an extension of like, you know, when I was your age, I don't think anybody talked about probiotics and nobody thought talked about like, you know, what's in your gut and that there's good bacteria and bad bacteria. Is that sort of an extension of the like, hey, you should eat this yogurt kind of, you know, kind of logic? I, I, I kind of, I think probiotics is more of a shotgun approach. Uh, there's no clinical studies really, if that is useful. Um, what these therapeutics companies are doing is it's very direct. Um, actually this week, uh, and I think this is really interesting. So this is, at least from my knowledge, uh, one of the oldest um, microbiome-based companies that's public, Series uh, Therapeutics, so ticker MCRB. Uh, they have four uh, programs in, the, in clinical trials based on uh, changing the composition of the microbiome. And uh, so their lead program is for uh, C. difficile or recurrent C. difficile. But they also have one that's very interesting. Um, so it's in phase one study, well, was in phase one studies uh, called CR401. And this was to help metastatic melanoma patients. So that's also interesting that the microbiome can also um, help determine uh, the treatment effect of cancer patients. So originally, this drug was supposed to help 
patients respond to checkpoint inhibitors. Um, in early preclinical studies, they found that while using a series therapeutics microbiome drug, patients who would not have responded to checkpoint inhibitors, so metastatic, so these are stage three, stage four melanoma patients, now were responding to treatment. Um, I don't know why, uh, but it just happens to be that it was working. But they discontinued um, a few days ago, which was a huge, well, you would think it's a huge letdown, down. And I'm still not sure how to view kind of their rationale for it. They had enrolled 10 patients. Um, they're saying it's because of COVID and enrollment was slow. Um, so this was in conjunction with uh, MD Anderson uh, Cent uh, Cancer Center and uh, the Parker Institute. Uh, what they were saying is that their earlier stage pipeline is progressing so quickly, so preclinical stage uh, research that by the time they enrolled patients into this study and went into clinical trials and did validation, that it would be disintermediated by their earlier stage program. So that's also very promising, that you know that the research here is picking up speed. So as much as I'm terrified from some of the things I've learned from Manisha, I also feel hopeful. Like there is a part of me that says like, okay, go work out, don't die for five more years. And like, <laughs> no matter what you get, there'll be like three amazing treatments. I know that timeline is, is aggressive, but it feels like if you're like a regular person who doesn't follow all this stuff, that like science is kind of stuck and like we haven't. And then when you bring on a Manisha, you bring on a Max Chasco, you learn that there's all these amazing things like, who knew that there were, you know, treatments for cancers and Alzheimer's and all sorts of other things that are possible. So that makes me feel hopeful about the world. Joey K points out that there is a South Park episode on the microbiome. I'm I'm not a South Park guy. I'm a, I'm a, I sort of missed it age-wise, uh, but I will go check that out. We appreciate that comment, Joey. Uh, before we bring on Alan Sokoloff to talk about millennial investing, Manisha, how early are we in this? There's only a handful of publicly traded companies, right? Right, definitely only a handful. But I think if I if you look at the private sector, uh, there are just so many. I mean, there's even a CRISPR-based microbiome company called Sniper uh, Biome, which I kind of love the name, calling it Sniper. Um, and I think we're getting there. I mean, we're in phase three trials. Uh, we're waiting for a series of potential approval for their lead candidate. Um, and I think as the body of research continues to grow, it's only going to continue to accelerate. So I think we're getting there. We learn something every episode. We thank you for watching. This is Seven Investing Now. Manisha's gonna uh, you know, fade in the background. She's gonna, gonna sip some seltzer, whatever it is. Uh, and we're gonna welcome Alan Sokoloff to the program. Alan is uh, an affiliate of Seven Investing. He is the creator of the Cruising Altitude newsletter. Uh, he's been on this show before uh, in a pre-taped interview. This is the first live guest we've ever done that isn't part of the Seven Investing team. So Alan, welcome to Seven Investing Now. Thank you, and it's an honor to be the first live guest. Thank you for believing in me. So we're going to talk millennial investing, and I couldn't figure out a way to ask these questions without coming off like a clueless dad asking his kid about Snapchat. Like, so I apologize that some of these might be pretty basic or or even mildly insulting. That's not the intention. I do feel like when I'm talking with my son about like I don't know some rapper who died who's apparently a giant deal, but I've never heard of them. Um, and I will point out that all of the things being said about millennials, not maybe not all of them, but a lot of them were said about my generation, about Generation X. So these really are kind of like rolling tropes. So I'm not sure you're that different uh, at this point in your life than we were. Um, but when I was your age, 
I don't think I knew what the stock market was. I mean, I, I knew it as a vague concept. There were like giant sections in the newspaper. I don't know if you know what a newspaper is, but there were literally like giant sections with stock tables because that's how you would follow your, your stock. That eventually shrunk to like five or six or maybe just like local stocks and then it disappeared altogether. But to people your age, people in their 20s, people college age, do they broadly know about the stock market now? Um, I think they definitely do. Do they know a lot about the stock market? Not necessarily, but do they know the um, new retail stock that is taken off due to Wall Street <laughs> betters? Yes, they do. But I think the big reason that it has become so mainstream is two reasons. One, Robinhood, of course, with um, no commission trading has made it much more accessible um, to the younger investor and also social media. Um, Instagram is just packed with different stock meme accounts, informational accounts that have hundreds of thousands of followers. So the stock market is is becoming known. So I, I don't want to be scoldy of our millennial, our millennial fans out there, but I will point out, be really wary of taking stock market advice from anybody's social media account, mine included. Check, because I don't <laughs> give stock market. People try to infer stock market advice from, from what I post, but generally I, I'm more discussion-based than really, I'm not giving tips on, on Twitter. But that being said, do you think most of your generation has kind of the wrong view of the stock market? They, they see it as like a casino, a get-rich-quick thing? So I think at the beginning, 100% yes. But now let's say March of last year, um, which is already a year ago, which is crazy, um, a lot of people got in thinking this is a get-rich quick mechanism or game. But as time has gone on and people have either lost a lot of money or either gotten bored with it, I think they're starting to look at it through a more critical lens that this is something that I can make a serious amount of money. And so I really think that the perspective and approach is definitely changing. So this is a popular show. Seven Investing is popular, but we have probably a tiny percentage of the audience of, say, uh, Dave Portnoy over at Barstool Sports. Full disclosure, uh, grew up with the Portnoys. Uh, Dave and my brother are friends. I don't generally comment about them. This is not meant to be positive or negative. But do you think someone that famous publicly day trading has created sort of a very false expectation and maybe led some people to be afraid of investing when really they should just learn how to be a long-term investor. I, I hope I worded that correctly so I don't get flooded on Twitter. You did okay. You did okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> help, I'll help smooth things out a little bit. But um, I think that a lot of people see it more as entertainment than advice, especially because Dave loses a lot of money. <laughs> um, I don't remember the last time um, you heard Dave say he made a lot of money day trading. Um, so I think in many ways people are like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but I do think I'll flip it that if someone with his popularity could make long-term investing cool and fun, that, um, that it could really change the sentiment for millennials and Gen Zers. And if you think, um, they should just be talking about Penn National Gaming all day since over the past <laughs> What is it up? I mean, it was down to four or five dollars a share, and now it's at 130 almost. Like, I think um, Dave should be talking about that all day. I'm sure he's and, listening and, to me right now. But yeah, and you could argue <laughs> that, that, that that's a fundamentals based valuation that the Barstool Association with Penn sure. look, 
that is not a brand targeted at me, but but I love some of their content. You know, some some of what they do is stuff we've shamelessly borrowed. <laughs> you know, in, in terms of uh, you know the Mount Rushmores and that kind of stuff, our, our formats we've used at different points. That being said, and it's not just Dave. I think Mark Cuban is guilty of this too. There was a lot of cheerleading for the the GameStop AMC kind of retail manipulation. And Mark Cuban went out and asked people, hey, who do you follow for investing advice? And I will say those of us at 7investing came up quite a bit because I do think it's fine if you want to take 5% of your portfolio as fun money and treat it like a, a dumb night at the casino. I think that's great. If, if, if you're young, you're probably not going to win. But just like there's the rush of, you know, we all have that gambling story of the night things went well, um, you know, and that's fun and it's probably worth the losses. But I would, I do love to see someone like a Mark Cuban amplifying good voices, and those aren't just us. But you know, we've talked about this a lot. You and I personally, all of us in the Seven Investing team, buy good companies and hold them for a long time. That's not super exciting. That's not buying like a, a thirty million dollar biotech stock that's trading for two cents that might literally not even be a company, uh, and then hoping it goes to a dollar fifty so you can get rich. Uh, I have lectured enough there, so let's get back to you as a younger investor. What are your goals? Like, why are you investing? It's probably not retirement, right? Like, that's a really long away, ways away for you. Me personally, retirement, my kids going to college. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think that um, there are two things I really think about um, when it comes to investing at my age. One is building good habits um, because I don't have that much money. I'm investing, but um, really trying to set my investing career off in the right direction, I think is very valuable. And also um, compounding growth. That's the biggest lesson that I'm trying to take away, that I have um, some positions in companies that I thought not much money, but then you look a year, two, three years later, and if you choose well, those positions become a lot bigger. So definitely not um, my kids going to college. I'm focused on me in college right now, um, but trying to learn and Keep it open, mind. We're going to take a question in a minute from our own Simon Erickson, or at least part of it, because uh, we're great minds think alike. Some of what he's asking is what what I just asked. Um, but as, as we do that, as we you know, you start investing. Do you feel like because you're so early in the game, you can be riskier than maybe if you did have actual kids and were were saving money for their college for their college education? I think, um, ironically. It's riskier, but less risky at the same time. I know when I first came on, we talked about Viacom CBS a little bit. I'm up a casual 65% since we did that show. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, but having the patience to invest in a Viacom CBS, let's say, I think is a big advantage. A lot of people are looking, um, I think, in the long run, that the company will um, be more valuable than it is today. And I think that's a benefit for myself that I don't need to try and generate some income here or income there. Um, so I think in some ways um, you can be a little bit more risky or another example is an Invite or a Fastly, more growth oriented companies that are doing a lot of cash burn, additional stock issuances. But then um, if you give these guys five, 10 years, I think we're going to be looking at some powerhouses in their respective industries. It's an interesting answer because I, I do think like if I was in my 20s, 
I probably would be much looser with my money than I am now, because even all those things you talked about, you know, we talked about retirement, kids, college. I have a 17 year old. When I was your age, the concept of having a 17 year old did not factor into anything I was doing. Maybe I would have thought a little bit about buying a house or some of my personal needs, but let's pull up Simon Erickson. Simon is, of course, uh, our, our founder, our CEO. Uh, he says, welcome to the show, Alan. Alan, I'm going to skip the first part of the question because we just kind of answered that. Uh, but how do millennials feel about the recent events with GameStop? Uh, is it something your friends were talking about? 100%. I think um, two things that I wanted to point out that we discussed before the show that um, stocks, it's always been kind of a social um, endeavor in many ways too, but now it's really becoming social. My friends and I every day are talking about, do you see what GameStop did? Do you see um, what Nokia did? Do you see what Viacom did? Um, and one of my friends, we, he, we have um, anointed him as the technical analyst for GameStop. He has <laughs> zero knowledge about the stock market. And I know he's not watching right now, so I can say this. Zero knowledge about the stock market and technical analysis. But we're like, um, Jacob, do you see what GameStop's doing? And he pulls out his phone and predicts what, what it's going to do next. And another one of my friends plays the GameStop game a little bit. So it is something um, that is social. And also another thing I wanted to add is the communal component that um, – Millennials and Gen Zers are really creating a community around investing, whether it's Wall Street bets or uh, maybe more of a fundamentally um, sound approach. But GameStop is um, something that people love talking about. So, yeah. Um, and, and then it's not. Yeah. I'll leave it there. Here's the thing. And I, and I hate to talk about this. We're going to talk about this in the finisher a little bit. But. GameStop is fundamentally not a strong company. And there is a turnaround argument for GameStop, but the fact that they're they're hinging it on a digital turnaround when you can buy games directly on your console, I, I think is fundamentally a bad idea. So if you wanted to socially be excited about Penn National, where you can make a strong uh, bull case for, if you wanted to be really excited about... Uh, you know, restaurant brands international because your friends like the Popeye's chicken sandwich or, or whatever it is, or or you're big into Starbucks or, or whatever it is, or even as much as the, the valuations are ridiculous, if you truly believe AMC, the movie theater company, which has shored up its finances, is going to make a pivot to education and events and something else, like, I think there has to be a fundamental case for a company to be worth it, not hey, I think a mob of people are going to buy it. Like you're, you're, you're trading, you know, oh God, I'll say Beanie Babies again. I know you don't know what those are. They're little collectible stuffed animals <laughs> that were big in, I, I don't remember when. I'm trying to think like uh, Pokemon cards would be a good example. There are points, okay. Magic the Gathering cards. There are points when some of those cards are worth hundreds or thousands of dollars. But there's in most cases, no underlying reason that they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars. That's where GameStop is. Like, if you want to tell me Penn National goes up, you know, it becomes a 10 bagger because of the power of linking to the Barstool brand. Look, I, I think there's a lot of deals to be made with casinos linking to brands. And that's the first major one to fall. One last question here, Alan. What are people my age, and I'm 47, getting wrong about people your age? I think we're pretty smart. I think a lot of people say that, um, we don't really know what we're doing with our money. We're being reckless, stupid. Yes, definitely true. But I think there's a greater, um, there's a mindfulness at the same time of 
what we're doing isn't the smartest thing in the world and probably shouldn't be done in the long run. But at the same time, we're 22, 23, 24 years old and we don't have that much money we're playing with. And, and watch out older generations. I think it's quite clear that um, my age group has shown hedge funds that um, we're not messing around. So I, I will say, as someone who has primarily younger friends, it is always good to be tied into multiple generations. I, I think that, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, idea that any one age is smarter than other ages, there's all sorts of different wisdom. It, that's a real bad mentality. Alan, before we get to the finisher, we're going to ask you to stick around here for the finisher. How can people find the Cruising Altitude newsletter? Yes, um, there's a couple different ways you could find us. Um, one is on our Twitter at CA30K. Um, great job, Sam. I'm putting it up there. Thank you. Great production. Um, and then also you can you can check out the newsletter at cruisingaltitude.substack.com. Um, and that is where you can subscribe. That moves us to our finisher. Alan, thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to do more and more of this. We're going to bring different voices onto the show. Uh, we're going to add interviews. Like As the world is opening up a little bit, we might even do some in-person things where a vaccinated host uh, interviews a vaccinated person or a distant masked person. So we're very excited about that. But uh, Sam Bailey, if you want to bring up our finisher, that would be great. Which of these companies has the best chance at a turnaround? AMC won the voting at 34.2%. GameStop came in second at 26.4%. Uh, Party City, 13.6%. Macy's, 25.6%. I have a clear thought here. Uh, but Alan, is there one here on this list that you think could, think could actually turn around? 100% yes, if they play it right. Um, in my eyes, that is GameStop. I think GameStop should become a apparel company. I think if they <laughs> focused on um, being a brand of the people, um, the, the brand association people love GameStop more than they did in 2008. And I think um, they can do it if they totally pivot and get away from being a um, uh, gaming company. Is that long-term viable? So back, back when I was in high school, Benetton, which I think still exists as a company, but I might not be right, uh, a Benetton <laughs> shirt. And it said Benetton or a Swatch Watch. The Swatch Watch still exists, but you had to have at least one, but probably five or six Swatch Watches. That wasn't sustainable because when kind of the, or even Vineyard Vines recently, Vineyard Vines was like a brand people would pay triple for. And then it kind of went away. Like I think GameStop should capitalize in the short term by selling some merchandise. I don't know that that's the long-term answer. Answer, Manisha, I know this isn't your space, uh, but is there one in this list that jumps out to you as a turnaround possibility? Yeah, um, yeah, again, not my um, expertise, but I would just say Macy's. I'm sure that it was hit during COVID. Um, no one's going to these stores. Um, and I know, I think there's uh, this thinking out there and it makes sense. A lot of people are going to buy things online. It's easy. There's Amazon. Yeah, you know, if you want to buy a bottle of perfume, just go to Amazon. It's there. But um, I think when it comes to clothing, um, it's so nice to go into a store and try something on before you buy it. Um, and I think that is an important, you know, factor. Uh, I know I'm, I hate shopping online because nothing ever fits correctly. And then I have to like go to the FedEx or UPS and return it. And that's an extra step, which I hate doing. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, I like the in-person experience. So I would say Macy's. 
I, I do think there's a place for Macy's. I don't think it's particularly investable. I think they'll be a business for all those reasons. Mm -hmm. I also think they've fallen pretty far behind on uh, store within a store concepts. We just saw that Nordstrom has made a couple of deals for that. Like, I, mm -hmm. I'd like to see a very heavy presence. There, there are a lot of brands out there that were opening you know, stores that don't want to now. So Untuck It and Warby Parker and Third mm -hmm. Love, uh, Casper Mattress. There is a Casper Mattress store near me. I, I think mm -hmm. we're seeing those deals happen. I do think Macy's has been a little bit left behind. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe even some of your brands that are pulling out of retail like Nike might be willing to go into a Macy's because it's an upscale store. But I actually think the answer here is Party City. <laughs> uh, and I know that sounds crazy, but if you're throwing a kid's birthday party, you want to go to Party City to buy your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles plates or, 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 or whatever it is. And obviously, this is a terrible time for parties. Like, <laughs> like, we, like COVID has stopped that. Seasonally, Party City does the pop-up Halloween stores. They, I've never understood why the pop-up Halloween store doesn't then become a pop-up Christmas store, a pop-up Valentine store, and then a pop-up Mother's Day store. Like It feels like you could just rotate those concepts. But I do think that Party City's troubles are much more of the times than any of the others of these. GameStop, I think, maybe could be a viable concern. I don't think it's a good investment. AMC, I think, is going to end up owned by Disney and Netflix and some consortium of people that want there to be movies. Um, Macy's, you know, I, again, I think it'll exist. It'll be a smaller footprint because I agree. I'm not buying a suit online. I'm not buying a dress shirt online unless I own exactly the same dress shirt and I'm buying another one. But with that, we have reached the end of the Friday edition of 7 Investing. If you'd like to get in touch with us, it is really easy to do. Uh, I remember back in the days, Alan, where you'd have to send a self-addressed stamped envelope to whoever you wanted to get in touch with, and then they <laughs> yeah. might send you like a, a picture back or something. But no, you don't have to do that. You yeah. can reach out to us at info at seveninvesting.com. That's our email address. It's usually Steve Symington who answers those. That's for questions about the service, questions about, oh, hey, when does 7investing now air? That is, of course, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, live at noon. Though a week from Friday, we're actually going to be at 1230 because we're going to push back half an hour because we're doing our members call, which we always get to the members call. And some of us have to drop off to go do 7investing now. So instead, we are going to actually keep everybody on the members call and then immediately seg into 7investing now. And of course, this whole show started with my viral tweet yesterday. So how do you follow us on Twitter? We are at 7investing. That is the at symbol, the number 7investing. Uh, Alan, when I was in college, I didn't have an email address. Like that is how I didn't have a cell phone um, and I had a phone card that I used that was my dad's so I could like call home that I'd get questions if I had too many calls that were on there that like weren't to, to my parents. Like, so the world has changed dramatically, but thank you for doing this. Of course. Thank you. This was awesome. Manisha Sammy, thank you for doing this. We will be back on Monday. See ya. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.